here with Lisa Schollmeyer today. And today, uh, what we're going to be talking about is why do you need a special needs planner and why do you need an estate planning or special needs planning attorney and kind of what are those differences on that? Um, this is something that is, um, it is confusing to our community very much so um, because there's kind of this running thought process that um, that basically the attorneys do what we do and that we do what the attorneys do. And so today we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the differences um, of, of, of what an estate planning attorney does, what a special needs planner does. And I want to first start by um, by saying I, I simplify this in the very like first minute of like of the meeting of um, I like to say you guys are the paper and we're the money. Okay, so the paper That's matters. Right. The legal documents, they are so, so important. And we don't do those. We don't have the license to do those. That's not what we do. And, you know, we're talking about wills and trust and special needs trust. We're talking about guardianship. You know, that is the attorney. But we're the money. How much do we need to fund our special needs trust? What is the future care cost estimate for my loved one that has care needs for the rest of their life, not just mine? Um, I need help with social security and social security, when to pull the trigger and how to maximize benefits for my whole household. And so those are some of the differences. But Lisa, do you, you probably get calls like that um, where people are, you know, asking on the financial side, tell us a little bit about that and tell us a little bit about your practice. Right. So uh, Allison, when you just said that, you know, we're the paper and you're the money, you know, really, it's it's the magic words that we put on the paper. Um, when you're dealing with Social Security Administration, after you have fought that battle to get that SSI, those SSI payments and those benefits that your child's entitled to, you know, you don't want to inadvertently lose that benefit by, you know, not having the right words on the paper and um, the Social Security Administration has lots of rules and regulations, so it's important that the attorney working with your family uh, knows those rules and knows how to uh, draft your documents to make sure you're in compliance with those rules. My practice, uh, I am all over East Texas, and we are what they call an elder law firm. Uh, some of you are on this webinar today going, okay, why would an elder law firm be on there? That's just the term that this area of practice, uh, where we're dealing with uh, folks who maybe have some disabilities, some challenges, whether those were brought on um, by birth or illness or accident or age. That's our specialty in dealing with the governmental agencies uh, and creating a structure for how the money is going to be protected and how it's gonna be there for your loved one. Um, I also, and this is all very personal to me as well. I, I have a, a special needs twin sister that I, much like you, Allison, I started digging around in all of this business, uh, thinking about how to protect her and make sure she's taken care of into the future. So we talk with families who are dealing with disabilities for children um, that were from, from birth, um, you know, and just doing everything we can to support the independence of those children, but protect them at the same time. One, one key thing that we talk, um, talk about on a pretty regular basis, Lisa, is that as families, our situation is specialized. And in that regard, 
um, it is always our recommendation that you work with a specialist. And what I mean by that, um, so for what we do, there's about 250,000 financial advisors in the U.S. and about 125 to 150, not thousand total in the U.S. are nuanced and special needs. Okay. So you want to be careful um, working with the advisor that you're working with to make sure that they understand the nuances of special needs, because it is so critically important. And you hit on this, Lisa, to maintain that eligibility for state and federally funded programs. And oftentimes, and this is the same for, for your community as well, um, your situation is specialized. Don't work with a generalist attorney. This is not a DIY project when it comes to your documents, when you have a you know, when you have a special needs child, this is not your brother next door, your na your neighbor next door who does the real estate attorney or whatever. You really want to work with a specialist um, because, you know, even with the legal documents. So we've seen a lot of financial advisors that have made inappropriate recommendations that have caused the child to, to not qualify for benefits or lose their qualifications. And we've also seen a lot of legal documents that have come through that have failed to, to qualify in the eyes of the Social Security Administration um, as, as a bona fide, you know, first party special needs trust with a Medicaid payback. We've also seen um, attorneys that dabble, that they don't really know special needs, that have made a third party special needs trust with a Medicaid payback, and that is wrong. <laughs> and so, so my point is, in all of that, we really think it's really, really important because your situation is specialized that you do work with a specialist. And I liken this to, um, you know, if you you if you have a heart problem, um, you you go see a cardiologist. You're not going to see a podiatrist, and you're definitely not going to go see a PCP with a heart problem. You're going to go see a cardiologist. And I would liken the same situation as it relates to planning long term. Um, we're we're looking at a big deal when we're looking at planning. We're looking at, you know, mom and dad and the rest of their life. They could spend 25 to 35 years in retirement. But what if our loved one with a disability is going to live 25 to 35 years beyond our life? Um, so that's where that careful planning um, comes comes into play. I, I know you've seen a lot of this as well, Lisa, like uh, documents that, you know, just correcting, you know, making corrections to documents that were maybe done by a generalist or they just really didn't know the rules as it relates to special needs. Well, and it's so frustrating to families because they went to someone that they viewed as, as an expert. They paid, you know, money for those documents. And then somehow or another, they make my way, they, they make their way to me. And I realized that some of those magic words aren't in the documents and I have to help the family correct that. And it's very frustrating. So for sure, for sure. Um, so let's talk about, um, we can talk a little bit about what a financial advisor does. So we provide the financial ad, um, advice. This could be fee-based or it could be commission-based. Um, we're able to calculate future care cost estimates. A lot of families come to us and say, we're hopeful and optimistic that Junior is going to get there. He's not there yet. We want to plan for the worst and hope for the best, okay? But we need to know how much do we need to fund the trust. So we're able to put those calculations together. We have other families that come to us and they definitively know that their child is going to have care needs for the rest of the child's life, period. There is no if, ands, or buts. And so we're able to do those future care cost estimates. And a lot of times we talk about those like being small, medium, and large, right? So what if your child has some care needs? Maybe they need an attendant. 
What if they have, um, you know, day program needs, but they're going to live with you indefinitely? What if they have long-term residential, full residential care needs? So that's what we think about like small, medium, and large and planning for that. Um, we're going to make sure that you have the assets in the right buckets um, to protect that benefit eligibility. Honestly, a lot of the families that we serve, they're kids that haven't qualified for SSI and Medicaid. If you have a child that is a minor, a lot of our families, they simply just make too much money. It's a means-based program. And so even though their child is disabled, they have not qualified for SSI and, um, and Medicaid. But really everything changes when the child turns 18 because it's based off of the child's assets and income, not the parents, even if there's a guardianship in place. So everything changes. So it's really, really important to have, have your money in the right bucket, to have your child's money in the right buckets to protect that eligibility. Um, we assess current assets and forecast the ability to retire and pay for future care. Because when we have a special needs child, and a lot of families have more than one special needs child, right? But when we have a special needs child that has care needs for the rest of their life, that's like a third bucket. It's like a third bucket for retirement. And when we have families that have multiple children with disabilities, that just kind of expounds on that. So planning for that and forecasting for that is very, very important. And a financial advisor is really going to provide the best advice on which vehicles will reach the client's goals. And I like to talk about the financial plan. It's not just, um, you know, I think people are hip to insurance salesmen, right? Right. It, or it's, asset it's a plan, managers. not products. Right. Where asset managers, all they want to do is manage your assets. All they want to do is sell you insurance. Um, we really do holistic planning. This is an overall plan and we measure the results. We track the results. We turn the knobs on the plan to help you get where you're going. It's not just a matter of managing your assets or the insurance. It's true that um, a lot of times families use life insurance to fund their special needs trust. They use their assets that they've saved over a 25 to 35 year recall. Um, career. They use their own assets for their own retirement, and then they fund a special needs trust with life insurance. There's a lot of ways to fund a special needs trust, but those are, you know, those are different vehicles to get you to reaching your goals and your plan. But ultimately, it comes down to your own plan for 25 to 35 years of retirement and those future care cost estimates of what your child's plan is to get you where you need to be. So, um, you know, some of the things that we'll do, um, we perform a needs analysis for protection plans and risk management. Um, we may manage assets. Um, we do a lot of transition planning, both special needs and life. Uh, we're able to set up some ABLE accounts, um, and an ABLE account is um, under the IRS tax code um, 529A, achieving a better life for an individual uh, with a disability. Um, this is really a place that you can have money above and beyond the $2,000 means-based test for SSI and Medicaid that won't be counted uh, against your loved one for, for those purposes. Um, we do a lot of advocacy um, through resource sharing and referrals, a lot of these webinars. We actually have a YouTube channel out there because the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel. All of these webinars and past webinars live out there. You can subscribe for free. There's over 200 webinars out there on topics all related to special needs, special needs planning, topics that you've been wondering about, SSI and Medicaid, working while getting SSI and Medicaid, um, special needs trust, guardianship, um, letters of intent, 
the waivers in the state of Texas. There's just a whole bunch of them out there. So you can kind of peruse that on your um, on your own time. Um, but we're also, um, as um, being certified as National Social Security Advisors, um, we have a proprietary software that allows us to calculate exactly how and when to pull the trigger on your Social Security to maximize the benefits for the whole household. When we have a child with a disability whose disability started prior to age 22, they have the ability to be covered under a parent's record for like 40 years. They called it Disabled Adult Child DAC. And then in the last two or three years, they've started calling it childhood disability benefits, CDB, it's the same thing. Um, but there are family maximums and really doing an analysis could mean the difference of several hundred thousand dollars to your family over a lifetime. So we're able to help with those types of things. Um, talk to us about some of the legal advice and, and some of the things that you do, Lisa, some of the right. differences. Yes. So a lot of times when you have a disabled child, you know, from when that child from zero to 18, just like any other parent-child relationship as the parent, you were the decision maker for that child. Um, but it, it all changes when that child turns 18. Under the law, the, the law presumes that every individual when they turn 18 becomes their own decision maker. Um, and a lot of times in the in the disability world, you will hear that that individual is their own guardian. Um, well, you know, it may not be possible for them to make all their own decisions. It may not be in their best interest um, because maybe they have some judgment issues or, or whatever their limitations may be. Parents often assume that they will, but because of the inherent disabilities their child has, that they will be able to continue to make all of those um, necessary decisions for that child after 18. And that is not true. So there are, um, you know, there's a couple of ways we handle that first and foremost. Um, you know, it may be that that child is uh, functioning at a level where they can sign powers of attorney, um, where um, they could have a supported decision maker assist them in navigating through their decisions and whatnot. But um, so those are some issues. Or we may have to go on to the court and get a guardianship. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But for the family itself, first of all, they're looking at how will I be able to assist my child and continue to make um, decisions. But then they're also looking at that framework of how am I going to do estate planning and provide for my child, you know, if something happened to me tomorrow. So that's when things like your own estate planning, such as trust and wills and uh, those type of documents come into play. So many clients, um, you know, they're, they're young, they're middle-aged, they're in the middle of their careers, and they think, hey, I don't need those documents for myself yet. I'm not at that age and stage. Well, again, I don't have to tell this audience, but that when you have special needs uh, child, then you don't get really the luxury of putting off that kind of planning because you have someone very important in your life that you need to make sure 100% is protected and your wishes and your plan is implemented through your estate plan. So it's kind of- Lisa, uh, Lisa I want to mention here- 
one thing that we see all the time, and you may see this too, um, and, and if you're out there, just, you know, nobody has to speak up, but you're probably in this number, right? Um, a, 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 lot of, a lot of times um, we see that people either don't have a will or the will that they have is and powers of attorney, healthcare power of attorney is completely outdated. Um, and it's something that we put on the shelf that we're going to do and we just don't get to, right? It's kind of one of those things. So if you're thinking about like, you know, planning it um, for, for the, you know, for the year, um, you know, for next year, let's put this as a priority to get this done. I mean, we've had some real significant um, uh, issues this past week with people that we've known, like major health scares where they, they were going to get it and they never got that health care power of attorney done. And, and now the person's incapacitated. These things are really, really, really important. So I would just say, if this has been kind of on your radar, I need to get this done. We're glad you're here. I always say it's never about looking back about what you haven't done. It's about, yes, I do need to do this. And now is a perfect time. I'm a sound mind and body. Everybody is okay right now. And this is a good time because when the crisis happens, it's a day late and a dollar short. Right. Yeah, that's right. Put it on your punch list for 2023 and just get it checked off. Um, you know, so Allison, a lot of families, they when they come in to me, they they really often come to me because either someone in their school system as they're planning for their child's graduation and aging out of school services um, has told them suddenly they, they become aware that they are not going to be the decision maker for their child um, going forward. Or if that child's now going to be participating in some dayhab type programs uh, and a state caseworker is involved and all of a sudden a parent gets asked about, do you have guardianship papers? Do you have powers of attorney? Um, and so that's really the, the first clue that a lot of parents get that things have changed as we move into adulthood. Um, I will tell you that uh, I'm a big fan of guardianship, which uh, is probably the most um, all-encompassing all uh, vehicle that you can have to be able to continue to make decisions for your child. It, a guardianship is a court-supervised relationship where you as the parent, um, frankly, are supervised by the judge in making continuing uh, decisions and uh, and having custodianship of your child's property, um, that I like the guardianship because while you're free to allow your child to be as independent and to go out into the world and do as much as they possibly can, as a guardian, you can always immediately step in with the power to protect them, and and that's a big deal states, uh, excuse me, the counties across Texas vary widely on dealing with guardianships on special needs adult children. Um, so definitely it's good to speak with an attorney who number one, uh, you know, is, a, is an expert in this area of practice and number two works in the local area uh, in the courts that you might appear in front of, because believe me, there are 254 counties in Texas, and I'm pretty sure they all do it 254 different ways. <laughs> um, the uh, An alternative that's often 
uh, touted as, as an alternative to guardianship and the court supervision of a guardianship is have that special needs child sign some powers of attorney. This is where that child as an adult signs uh, documents for financial and medical matters where they nominate and name you as an agent to assist them uh, with a legal right to make decisions on their behalf. A uh, couple of things about powers of attorney, however, number one, the adult child has to have sufficient capacity to understand um, that they are essentially drafting mom and dad for their team in adulthood of who's going to help them make decisions. Um, second of all, even if you are the named agent on your ch adult child's power of attorney, your adult child is free to make their own decisions um, of any kind they would like. As an agent on a power of attorney, you do not get to substitute your decision uh, for your adult child. You simply can assist and facilitate um, with your adult child. So that's a, a lesser um, level of authority for a parent is to be an agent on a power of attorney. Finally, um, a, another set of documents has come to the forefront. Um, these documents are called supported decision-making agreements. These documents aren't uh, even at the level of power of attorney. They're, they're a, a formal document, yes, but they don't necessarily carry the force of law. It simply is a contract and agreement between that adult child and the parent that that parent is going to be able to get information from third parties and to counsel that child and assist in making decisions. We actually see supported decision-making agreements probably a lot more frequently in the mental health realm um, while we see powers of attorney and certainly guardianships um, when we're dealing with more, for instance, IDD um, type disabilities. So, Lisa, let's talk about IDD for a minute because that's one of the things I'm that I was sorry, thinking about. I'm, and I'm, so, you guys, I'm. Can I just interrupt real quick? I'm so sorry. Um, someone has put a couple of yes. questions in the Q and A. And uh, yes, I see them. Um, okay. We're going to address those questions in just a minute. I do see them. We won't forget them. Okay. Um, on the guardianship powers of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, supported decision making agreement. First of all, um, one of the things that I wanted to say is we have entire webinars on this topic. It's an hour long conversation, really. Yes. Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to say. Number one, the powers of attorney and healthcare power of attorney. This is an important document. So what I would say is ask yourself. Do I have a power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney for myself and my spouse? And my aging parents, do they have a healthcare power of attorney and, and, and power of attorney? And my child that's neurotypical that I just sent off to college who's 18 years old, do I have a healthcare power of attorney and power, you know, uh, and power of attorney for those? These are all people that should be on your radar, okay, when it comes to that. A couple of other things, I've seen people do a power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney um, for a child that really did not have the intellectual capacity to understand what they were signing. And I've seen those, those documents rejected at a hospital because they were clear that the individual doesn't have the capacity to understand. So one thing I like to say here is um, you don't have to know what you need when you go sit down with an attorney. You don't have to know, I definitely need guardianship. There's a partial guardianship, or I definitely just want a power of attorney and supported decision-making agreement. 
somebody like Lisa is going to talk you through your options, explain all of the options and try to really understand your child, what their limitations are, if they have an intellectual disability and together come up with the right, um, the right solution that the law in Texas says the least restrictive Correct. and most appropriate. And they use the word ward. I hate that word, but anyway, um, for, for the individual, the bottom line is the least restrictive and most appropriate. Um, and so, so I just want to say, you don't have to know, but these are really, really important conversations. Um, and, and some things like a full guardianship takes all their rights away, right to marry, right to drive, right to vote, things like that. But there are other lesser restrictive, like a partial guardianship that where they may still retain some of those rights, right, Lisa? Oh, that's right. And um, we've had a major change in the guardianship laws in the state of Texas a few years ago, where the burden is on the judges and the attorneys and, and the whole court system to uh, implement the 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 less the mo the least restrictive guardianship provisions necessary to protect that individual, and so that's a conversation we're having, you know, in the in the judges' chambers and before the bench whenever we're in court asking for guardianships. Is you know, is a full guardianship necessary? Do all of these rights need to be removed so that the parent is continuing to make those decisions? Or um, are there certain decisions that that adult disabled individual can still make for themselves and while the parent retains other powers and authorities? So it is a conversation. Do you think that the bar for the like, so, you know, in we we call intellectual disability an IQ of 70 or below or 75 and below with multiple disabilities. Is that kind of a place where you guys start looking about the ability for a person to understand what they would be signing or not as far as their IQ score or I mean I know it's a lot of other factors that's not a slam dunk but sure. but there are issues with a person that truly has a, a, a bona fide intellectual disability in, in capacity. Yes, um, absolutely. So uh, we see a lot of high functioning in that 75, 70, 75 round, uh, range where that individual is driving a car uh, they're already driving a car, but maybe they're real susceptible to financial exploitation. Um, so, you know, the as far as signing powers of attorney versus a guardianship, we're definitely going to need a, a higher level of functioning. But the courts are mandated to look at the situation to determine if powers of attorney are sufficient if, if they're correct for the situation and if they would be sufficient to protect that individual. But yes, clearly we have individuals that, you know, it doesn't take a medical professional to understand that they do not have capacity to under, to themselves to understand what a power of attorney document is. So, you know, maybe they can sign their name, but they wouldn't understand what they were signing. I mean, that would be the case, for instance, with my twin sister, who's probably um, an IQ of about 45 or 50, uh, and she can sign her name to anything you put in front of her, but it wouldn't be a valid legal document or contract because of her lack of understanding. Yeah, and that's what we see, like in that example where um, there was a power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney signed. I mean, most of our kids are going to sign whatever we tell them to sign, um, but but it has to do with that capacity. So I am going to go um, to a couple of questions here. Um, we've got how much would a specialist service cost per hour and how many hours would you typically need to get proper documentation in place? 
Um, and, and we do get a cost question, so I'll, I will provide um, a range. Um, so first of all, what I will say is for us, we always do an initial consultation. We do not charge for the initial consultation. That's an opportunity for us to get to know you, for you to get to know us, and then we'll talk um, to you about the doors that you can walk through with us. We're not here to rain on any good planning that you've already done. So we seek to understand what you've already done so we can build on that foundation, not tear it all down and start over, right? You know, okay. So that's that's basically how we work. And I, I would say that our range of services, I would say start, um, I would say on the low end of a thousand and probably in the range of 3,500 to 4,000 is probably what the range of our services. And that is like, um, on the higher end, that's the full financial plan. That's the future care cost estimate. That's the the the, the social security. Now it's everything included, really. Um, um, Lisa, could you kind of give a range? And I know this is sure. wrong. So an uncontested guardianship. Let's just call it an uncontested guardianship. Give us a range about what people could expect to spend, and then and then if they need a special need, a third party special needs trust, the will and the corresponding documents. Give us a range on that. I think people like to plan financially for that. Absolutely. Um, and, and of course, um, so our, our cost, and we're in East Texas, so we're not in a major metropolitan area, you know, like Houston, Dallas, all of that. But for a uncontested guardianship with a, for instance, like an IDD individual who has been disabled um, since childhood, you know, we've got those records, that documentation. We typically charge uh, $1,500 for that guardianship on the legal work. Um, but by the time the court appoints, the court does appoint a separate uh, special investigator in a guardianship. That role is referred to as the attorney ad litem. Uh, they uh, have to go back behind us and check and make sure that all of the facts that we've presented to the court are true and correct, because believe it or not, back in the bad old days, uh, people would uh, embellish to the court so they could get control and guardianship of, of family members. So there is an attorney ad litem. Typically, their fees um, are around $350, uh, $500. Uh, they report directly to the judge. Um, and then just the filing fees and various. Um, typically, on a straightforward guardianship, uh, you're looking around $2,500. And I mean, I know that's significant. However, remember in a guardianship, you are removing someone's uh, legal liberties to make uh, some or all of their own decisions. And so the state of Texas has a very careful framework for evaluating guardianships, which uh, does require a hearing uh, before the judge. It does require a background investigation by that attorney ad litem. And so there's a lot of hoops to jump through um, on a guardianship. Typically, when we set up a special needs trust, if we do a standalone special needs trust uh, where all members of the family, grandparents, parents, you know, siblings can utilize that standalone special need trust to provide for that, you know, that special family member, um, typically, again, that charge for all that's about $1,500. It can increase when we have combined planning for parents, for themselves, as well as setting up special needs trust for their child. Um, but I would say we'd probably top out at around the uh, four to $5,000 mark on that type of planning. 
Um, so we have another one that says, if you're a parent um, of a child with a disability, do you need to work with a specialized uh, a specialized attorney such as this group for your own personal will or just work with a specialized attorney for the legal documents? And I would say I, I would say I would use it for all because it all goes together. It starts, you know, it's, it's, you know, you have your will and you have your, you know, the components of your will. Sometimes people have a testamentary special needs trust and in, in sight of their will that some attorneys mess up. <laughs> um, but I, I say that it really goes together because again, upon your death, you're the one that's funding the special needs trust. So I, I would say sticking with one that is, is nuanced and special needs. I, I'm assuming you agree with that, Lisa. Um, uh, yes, Allison, I like to think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, we've got all these pieces that need to fit together just perfectly, um, you know, to make to make it work. And, and it certainly can. But when you have too many uh, folks trying to craft uh, it, it usually doesn't fit together as perfectly as it as it could. So definitely you need uh, the same attorney working on all those different pieces. And also, you know, really the laws do change um, from time to time on the special needs side of the house. And we do recommend our clients have their legal documents um, reviewed, um, you know, every three to five years. You haven't looked at because laws change, things change, wording changes, you know, like, you know, the prevailing, you know, this is how we're doing things. And so yeah, having those updated from time to time, you know, I, I, I always hate it. No offense to anybody out here, but they say, oh yeah, we have a will. It was done 24 years ago at the, our first child or something like that. You know, it is time to update it. So, it, you know, having something is better. with something called the SECURE Act, which had to do with retirement and how how long people had to take out inherited IRAs and retirement assets. And it went from being a lifetime stretch where you could uh, take it out over the remainder of that beneficiary's lifetime to just a 10-year stretch. Ten but, years. There, but there was an exception for a beneficiary that was, um, uh, that was, very ill. And my argument is that our um, disabled family members also fall into that exception. But those are some things that if your documents assumed one thing about how retirement assets could be available to your, your beneficiary, well, the law changed. And now we need to maybe update that language. For sure. And then there was another question saying, you know, like, do you need the special needs attorney or the special needs planner first? I would say typically, and that's where people get confused. They think they need one or the other. You actually need us both. Um, we do separate things, oftentimes simultaneously, and we work together. Like once those special needs trust, the wording of the title of the trust, then we use that in all of the beneficiary designations. So we work closely hand in hand, um, but you need us both. Is, is So who you get started with first, you know, one way or the other, you just, you need both things because you can have this, the, uh, you can have the special needs trust, but if it's not funded, it's not necessarily worth the paper that it's written on. If we don't know how we're going to provide care, future care for the, these kids. So it kind of goes, um, it kind of goes hand in hand. So I don't know that there's a right or wrong way there. So I'm going to ask if we did payment plans. Um, we don't do payment plans, but we do like, 
at the beginning and at the end. So like when we start the work, we do 50%. When the work is finished, we charge the 50%. So we'll do that. And then somebody said, is that 2,500 monthly? And absolutely not. So I'm so glad to report you. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely not. That is, so these are like, we're talking about flat fees of, of providing our services, the plans, the, the documents, whatever it is, whether it's guardianship or wills and trusts and things like that. So happy to report it's not a monthly cost. Um, and then, and you can answer if you do payment plans. I I don't know if you do payment plans. Not too many of the attorneys that we've worked with typically do like, you know, payment plans, but you can let us know. Yeah. Typically we don't do payment plans, but, um, you know, most often we're in a, we're in a professional relationship for, uh, usually a few months as we get everything taken care of. So we, we do work with clients on planning for that expense. Um, for instance, as a child turns 18 and if they get, um, SSI, then this type of legal work, setting up special needs trust and getting guardianships are, are also part of services for the child that, um, you know, their funds can be used for, but uh, typically we work with a client. We don't necessarily. Okay. So, you know, the, the reason that you don't just go to the attorney down the street that did your cousin's divorce or your nephew's DWI to, to work in this area is because they just, they don't know and, and it's even scarier that they don't know what they don't know. And so there are lots of rules and regulations, uh, especially with Social Security and how assets can be passed for the support of an individual with special needs. And we have got to thread that needle just perfectly. So an attorney, a special needs attorney, an elder law attorney is going to be aware of those rules and regulations. You know, also... You know, every, everyone's situation is different, which is such a lawyer kind of answer <laughs> to say, but um, it's just true. And so we're going to look in our toolbox and figure out what is the right tool for your situation. You know, do we just need um, to make sure an ABLE account is set up, that we've got a nomination of guardian in case there's a need in the future, um, and some some basic things going on if you have a pretty basic situation or you know are you going to retire and and bring $300,000 rollover from your 401k over you've got some permanent life insurance you've uh, you don't have any trustworthy family or or uh, siblings of your disabled child to assist we plan for all of those contingencies and figure out what's going to work best for your situation also, a lot of families are simply not aware of what type of government programs are out there um, to assist with day hab expenses, caregiving expenses, even paying a family member for caregiving services. Um, and so we like to connect families with those type of benefits, but we also want to make sure that the, the, the landscape of the family is, is in the right order. So that way, when they apply for those programs, that they have the best chance of getting approved and being able to utilize those programs. So we're going to do that. And then um, certainly we're going to talk about wills, trust. Um, I have to say, when it comes to special needs individuals, 
Not a big fan of using a will as the primary document for the parent, simply because when you have a will, it has to be probated before it's valid. And so if you've buried a special needs trust inside your will, well, that trust doesn't come into existence for months after your death because of um, it having to go through the probate process. So an attorney is going to explain all of that to you so you really understand the, the consequences of the different tools and choices that you might use to plan for your family member. I do agree with that um, a thousand percent because when you do have that special needs trust that forms upon your death inside your will, it is a long time before your loved one with a disability. But I will also say if the situation is the boss financially, you're better off to have a will with the testamentary special needs trust than to have nothing at all with the goal that you're going to go ahead and get that special needs trust in the future. Um, So if that's what you can afford now, and then you're going to save up towards doing your special needs trust, if that's the door you have to walk through, that, you know, that it's not wrong, I guess is what I would say. So, but I do agree. I like the idea of the standalone special needs trust because it's already activated, already has a tax ID number and something happens to somebody else. The funding is in motion and everything is as copacetic as it can be for the loss of a loved one. So I, I do agree with that, but, but, but it is a way having a will with the testamentary special needs trust that will be formed in the future is is a way to go ahead and, and get get it going, you know. That's right. So That's right. for and we, sure. And we, so I, we segued right into this slide, <laughs> Allison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just real quickly, um, the difference when we talk about special needs trust, you know, a special needs trust is a. Uh, it, I like your bucket analogy, Allison. It is a place to park assets inside a trust that are going to be used for the care and benefit of your special needs person. Um, So it's a legal entity of its own and it can be formed inside your will where one doesn't exist until you pass away. And then there's a whole section of your will that says, when I die, set up this special needs trust for my child and here are the provisions and here's how I want the money spent and here's who I want to be the trustee of who's in charge of it. And really, you are speaking from the grave at that point, because all of those provisions are within your will that we we just discussed would have to be probated uh, before that trust comes into existence. An alternative is doing something called a standalone special needs trust. Some people call it uh, an inter vivos special needs trust. Uh, that's just one of those uh, legal Latin phrases that means during life. So you're setting up that special needs trust during your life, as opposed to having it set up in your will that comes into existence when you die. Um, I like using standalone special needs trust when it's the right situation, because that trust is for that individual. It's already in existence. We go ahead and set out the terms now and maybe uh, you know, parents sets up that special needs trust. We put a hundred dollars in it today, and maybe that's it. But we go to our employer and we change our beneficiary on our retirement plan to the trust, and we 
check in with our life insurance and we change the beneficiary on our life insurance to the trust. So we know that this trust that only has $100 in it today will someday receive the assets from our, from our other um, buckets out there and the provisions are already in place to provide for our family member. Also, because it's a standalone trust that's already designed for that family member, um, again, I mentioned earlier, you know, grandparents can, can point some of their assets into that special needs trust, and they don't have to go back and do their own individual planning. I actually have families come in where that's the situation. Grandparents, parents, they want to come in and set up some vehicle for that uh, special needs child and grandchild. And the standalone trust is the is the thing to do there. A grandparent, just so you guys know, so if your children stand to inherit money to her point from a grandparent or great-grandparent or a family member, it cannot go to a, your testamentary special needs trust because the trust doesn't form up until your death. It has nothing to do with grandma and grandpa's death. So so if you know for sure that there is an inheritance that it stands to come, then that is kind of your litmus test that you probably do need a standalone special needs trust if they haven't set one up. So that is a, an, an important component. We see that all the time. You hit on something else. I just and I want to just take a minute uh, to talk about this on the beneficiaries. One thing that I know you see and that we see every day is beneficiaries that are set up inappropriately. And this is an example of the advisors that don't understand special needs and just general um, population of, of mindset of beneficiaries. Okay, well, if I die, my spouse is gonna get the money. And if I die, my spouse is dead and gone, then that's easy, I'll divide it amongst my children. Okay, that's a fairly common thing that people do. So first things first, we don't ever wanna name our child with a disability outright as the beneficiary for anything because it's gonna mess up their eligibility for state and federally funded programs, period. So the right way we name them is to their special needs trust for the benefit of little Johnny. Instead of Johnny Smith, we're gonna say the special needs trust for the benefit of Johnny Smith or, or what have you, whatever the name of the trust is. Um, the other thing that I like to mention here, because I know we're talking about special needs, but a lot of us have kids that um, don't have disabilities as well. Um, we're not fans of naming minor children beneficiaries either. When you name a minor children a, a child a beneficiary and you die while the child's a minor, that money sits in trust for them until they're 18. And when they're 18, they get all of the money. And it's a horrible idea. <laughs> so um, there, there are ways to prevent that. But because you mentioned that, I just wanted to um, hit on that. And so if you're taking notes, um, do write down, hey, check my beneficiaries. And, when, and check your, you want to check your primary beneficiaries, your contingent beneficiaries. Um, this is something that you don't need us for. You can do this on your own. You can check with your HR department at work on the 401k, 403b, any life insurance benefits that you have through work. You can call the carrier directly for any insurance um, programs that you have purchased outside of employers um, and ask, who are my beneficiaries? Who's my contingent beneficiary? Can you send me a change of beneficiary form? They will send you a change of beneficiary form free of charge. You fill it out, you send it in, and they update your beneficiary. So just do a check on that. A lot of times people have done this a long time ago. They forget about it. It's kind of on the shelf and um the beneficiary supersedes anything that you do, any legal documents, any wills, any any trust, anything. When it comes to life insurance, investment accounts, 401ks, 403b, it's who the beneficiary is is on there 
is who gets the money. Okay. So including ex-spouses and anything like that. So if a person got divorced and they never changed the beneficiary because they forgot and that person dies, the ex-spouse is going to get the money. That's basically how that's going to go. So I always just like to tell people to, to, to check on that. Um, um, we have a, a, a question in the chat box. What is the benefit of a special needs trust over providing your inheritance to a family member adult who you trust and expect to take care of your child um, going forward? This is one we hear a lot. Lisa, I'll let you take that. Yes, because I had this very conversation with my own father. He wanted to leave me a double portion of his estate so that I would use um, half of that to care for my disabled twin sister. But here's the deal. Um, you know, number one, I'm a professional. I could get sued for malpractice any day. Um, and a judgment could be, you know, could be uh, entered against me. I could get into a car wreck. I could go through a divorce. I could have an illness of my own. And if the money that my dad left for my sister was in my name, it would be subject to any of those creditors or those judgments or or maybe my own bad decisions. Uh, maybe I'm pretty solid right now, but maybe I, I lose my mind down the road and live the wildlife and I use my sister's money to do it. So it's never a good idea it's to leave money in informally, essentially, to another family member with the expectation and intention that they will take care of the disabled, their disabled sibling. You just don't know what's going to go on in their life. Um, they may, you know, uh, end up with a spouse that you know, spends their money, they may have a good reason to dip into that money if they or their immediate family has a major illness or accident or health issue. And they say, well, I'll just borrow a little bit from this pot over here for my disabled sibling and I'll pay it back someday, but I just need it really bad right now. You just never want to create that temptation or that risk. So that's why we use special needs trust. So that way the money and the funds are protected. And there is a trustee who is you know, responsible for overseeing those funds, but they have a legal obligation to use those funds in the manner dictated for the special needs individual. We agree a thousand percent at CPG um, on everything that you just said. The, the truth is that if you think about your life, life happens. We're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial. There, there's just real, real things that happen in people's lives. Um, crisis, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And you mentioned a lot of those. So we definitely agree on that because we always want to make sure that that money is there and that it is protected uh, no matter what. Um, so really and truly, you know, we've talked about kind of a lot of the things and we really work closely in hand. Um, you know, Lisa doesn't work for us and we don't work for her. And, you know, and, and I always say, you know, uh, we're not attorneys and we don't play one on, on TV. You know, we, we are the, 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 the special needs advisor over here. Um, but we work very closely um, with your attorney, the attorney that you choose. Um, to make sure that we have those wording, the wording right, those beneficiaries set up right, those documents set up right. We work very, very closely um, together when it comes to those types of things. And, you know, a lot of times people, you know, we, we do have attorney referrals. We're happy to be, um, you know, working with Lisa on the east side of Texas. And um, we have West, you're in the West 
West Park, correct? Lisa, your location, oh, where, sorry, where are you the, located? Oh, yeah, I'm in East Texas. We have offices in uh, Texas. Texarkana, Longview, Tyler, Paris. So you're kind of um, all over that that end of the world, but we, we do have referrals um, all across the state because a lot of people come to us and say, I don't know who to work with or I don't know you know, what direction. So we're happy to make, you know, a qualified referral um, as it relates to that. But certainly uh, you can uh, reach out to Lisa and her firm and kind of talk about the planning that you guys have done so far. Um, today, um, we are going to be sending out an email. Uh, Linda has been recording this presentation. Um, you are going to get a copy of today's slides with all of our contact information, how to reach us, and it kind of everything that we talked about. Um, so you will get that later today. Um, in here, and this is just our upcoming webinars. You'll be able to click this link. We have all of our upcoming webinars. All of our webinars are free. They're typically during the week from 12 to 1 is typically how they roll. And you can register for those in advance. You can kind of peruse the topics for kind of your journey and, and, and what you're needing right now. But so we'll hope, hope you'll join um, a, another webinar in the future. These are things that we like to talk about that should be on your, on your, on your planning radar. We talked about a lot of things. Uh, today, um, we've kind of hit on a lot of these. We, uh, and again, the thing is, is when we're talking about these things, every single one of these topics has an hour long webinar. Uh, the, the, the unfortunate thing with the, the, the lives that we live is everything is deep and wide. There's a lot of information and it tees the, you know, cross and ice and dot, things like that. So we do have webinars on all of all of these topics. So we hope that you'll you'll find those on our YouTube channel. We work on a collaborative team at Consolidated Planning Group, and I always like to uh, share some faces uh, with names. A lot of times, either myself or Michelle will um, um, you know do the webinars, and so I always just like to share some faces. Um, we always um, offer a free consultation. Um, this QR code you can scan with your camera, and it'll take you to a calendar to where you can schedule an appointment that is, um, you know, appropriate for your calendar as well. Um, but again, this is where we're going to kind of talk to you a little bit more about the planning that you've done, understand what brings you to the meeting, uh, learn a little bit more about your loved one, and together we'll talk about um, how we might be able to help you going forward. So. Um, Linda, it has been a pleasure um, to, to be partnered back uh, with you again today. And Lisa, it has been my absolute pleasure uh, to, to do this webinar with you today. And we hope that you guys walk away from today's webinar just understanding the differences of what, um, what an estate planning attorney or elder law attorney does and what a, a special needs financial planner does, kind of the differences and how we come together. Because um, like I said, um, if you had some confusion on this, you are definitely not alone. Every single week we have um, things like that. Uh, let me see if I have, okay, we did actually, um, we did answer those questions. Linda, do you have anything else uh, for us before uh, we part ways yes. for today? Yes, thank you. Um, thank you for coming and thank you, Allison and Lisa for speaking. Um, again, I just want to say that um, all of our services are free. We are the Parent Training and Information Center, and it's free to parents and youth self-advocates with special needs. And um, I do have a poll that I'm going to launch. If everyone could just fill that poll out, because we are grant funded. That's how we get our funding. And this poll will help us to keep that grant funding. Um, I appreciate everyone for coming. Here's the poll. And um, I hope you'll join us for our next one. Thank you, Linda. 
I'll leave the poll up for a few minutes and then I will um, stop the recording and leave. I didn't see the poll pop up yet. I don't know if anybody else did, but I don't see oh, it yet. Hold on. It would help if I hit the launch button. Thank you for letting me know. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. I am going to go ahead and stop the and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.